following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. that begin the Bible. And the reason we asked that question, what's the occasion, um, can be seen a little bit in its title. Uh, Deuteronomy is kind of a funny word. And if you know much uh, Latin or even Greek, you see in that word duto, deuter, uh, has something to do with two of something. And that is because uh, the, the word Deuteronomy is the Greek, it comes from the Greek Septuagint. Uh, it means second law. And uh, back when they were translating the Septuagint, the Hebrew Bible, into Greek, uh, they kind of understood it as a repeat, a rerun, if you will, of the law. But that in itself raises questions. Why a second law? What was wrong with the first one, right? And uh, as we read through the book of Deuteronomy, it's, it's mostly repeated material. Okay? Not, not a lot changes. It's just restating uh, what's been going on in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And it's like, you know, it was fun the first time. I'm not so sure it's that much fun the second time. So why? What's the occasion? What, uh, what is going on here? Well, uh, first thing to note is that the, the title Deuteronomy is somewhat of a misunderstanding. And those who gave it that title really misunderstood uh, really the purpose of the book because it's not really so much a second giving of the law. Um, but uh, that misunderstanding is somewhat understandable because uh, the book does state so much material that's already been covered in Exodus, uh, Leviticus, and Numbers. So the, so the question is, what is the occasion? What's going on that Moses feels he needs to restate it again uh, to give us, if you will, a rerun? Well, um, uh, the book, as recent scholars have discovered and uncovered, uh, the book of Deuteronomy actually follows uh, in its structure and in the way it's outlined or laid out uh, the ancient, uh, an ancient Near East treaty formula, oftentimes called a suzerain treaty. And there's many of, uh, examples of this in ancient uh, Near Eastern literature, uh, not just in, in Canaan, but all around that region. Uh, and it, it's, it's a, a treaty or a covenant, an agreement between a king uh, and there's in his subjects or, or vassals, right? And Deuteronomy uh, it very much follows. Uh, it, it's more than a treaty. It's more than just that. But it certainly is patterned after uh, a treaty formula or treaty uh, structure. Um, and in this kind of treaty, there are some very definite uh, and necessary sections. And the first section is what's called the preamble or kind of the introduction. And we see in verses 1 through 5 uh, that exact preamble or introduction. So let's read uh, those verses and let's uh, understand it as the, the preamble or introduction to this covenant treaty. Uh, so let's read uh, Deuteronomy 1, 1 through 5. Uh, These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness in the Arabah opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hezeroth, and Dizahab. Uh, those are fun words to pronounce. It is the uh, 11 days journey from Horeb, by the way of Mount Seir, to Kadesh Barnea. <clears throat> In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him and uh, in commandment to them, 
After he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth, in, in, in Edre. Beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moses, Moses undertook to explain this law. <clears throat> so that's the preamble, it's the introduction. Um, and it's really explaining the occasion or setting. So uh, the good news is, uh, as we unpack these verses today, we are going to learn uh, why Moses felt it important to to, to re-give uh, the law. Uh, and more specifically, uh, because it is an entreaty form, he's not just re-giving the law, but he's really re-giving the covenant. Right? He's uh, restating the, uh, the stipulations, the terms, the conditions of the covenant that he formed with them originally at Mount Sinai. So he's really not just telling it all over again. Uh, there's more going on with Moses and, and, the, and the people of Israel. And so we want to know what is going on. What is, it, uh, what is this new uh, occasion, this new setting or this new circumstance that's prompted Moses to write this book, uh, to, to renew the covenant, uh, not just to state the covenant, but really to make or renew uh, this covenant. What's happened that's prompted Moses to do that? And more importantly, uh, uh, the big really question for us uh, as New Testament believers who live now in, under the New Covenant, uh, we might ask, well, what does this all have to do with us? Like, why, why are we uh, concerned about laws and commandments and things about sacrifices that uh, clearly are not part of our, our worship or our practice as we live out our faith, as we live out Christianity? So what does this have to do with us? What does it have to do uh, with our life, with Christ? So what can it teach us? So let's try to answer those questions, find out the occasion, and then see how it is relevant to us. Uh, so let's, let's first uh, uh, look firstly at what is the occasion? What is going on that has prompted Moses to, uh, to write this, this whole book? Uh, not only write it, but actually uh, to speak it. So we look again in verse 1. It says, these are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. Uh, then in verse 3 he says, In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. And then finally in verse 5 he talks about, uh, Beyond the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain his law. So this is largely about Moses speaking uh, what God had given him. But it's, it's important to note that this is not a new commandment. It's not a new word. It's not new information, but Moses is actually restating and repeating all that, that, Moses, that, that God gave to him basically at Mount Sinai and in, and in the journey following uh, Mount Sinai as God continued to reveal his plan and his uh, guidelines for the covenant. Uh, so, so, so what we have here is really a, a, a series of sermons. Maybe it was one sermon, one very long sermon. You think my sermons are long. This would have been a very long sermon. Or maybe just a series of teachings that Moses gave uh, uh, in Moab, uh, teaching and explaining to them uh, everything that he had already written down, everything that God had given them uh, in Exodus to Numbers. So not new laws, not new information. He is retelling it. Um, and the, this preamble uh, uh, is going to give us the occasion for it. But it also spells out a little bit of the parties involved. And we see here that there's basically 
Uh, three things going on. First, Moses is the mediator of this covenant, right? So it's spelling out a, a covenant agreement, a treaty, and Moses is the mediator. He's the one who's negotiating between the two parties. And then we have the two parties. Uh, of course, on the one side is God, uh, the king, the Lord, the one who has redeemed and rescued Israel. And then on the other side, we have, of course, the people of Israel. And then uh, finally, we have uh, the occasion, what's going on uh, that they need to renew or re, uh, re-sign, if you will, the, the contract, the covenant. Um, uh, we also see, so what we see here is, uh, is this new situation. And there's a, there's, there's a couple of things to note about why, why there's a need, why there's a, an occasion for renewing the covenant. And the first thing we see is that it's because it's a new era. It's a new time. In fact, I called the sermon, uh, The Times Are Changing. And that's how it is in the world. The world is constantly changing. And that, that was true for, for even Moses. And we, we tend to read uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and uh, we, we kind of lose track of what, what was going on in their world. And, uh, and I know how it is. You know, you get through Leviticus and you're like, oh, I don't want to hear any more about unclean anythings, right? And all of a sudden we're back in Deuteronomy and we're talking about that again and we just want it to end, right? We just want to get through it. Um, but actually, uh, a lot had changed between Numbers and Deuteronomy. Um, and in fact, it says in verse 1, and this may be a little unclear to us, but it says that these are the words that Moses spoke uh, to all Israel beyond the Jordan. So they are on the east side of the Jordan River, and on the west side of the Jordan River is the land of Canaan, right? So they are now really uh, right at the doorstep, at the threshold, if you will, of the promised land. Um, and then it talks about all these places in the Arabah, opposite soup, between all these places, and scholars have debated about uh, where all these places are. It doesn't really matter where they are. What's important to note is it's describing the journey from uh, Mount Sinai to Moab. Uh, to to the, the, the basically the doorstep of the promised land, uh, and in verse five it says it clearly they're beyond the Jordan in the land of Moab. So it's a new era. Uh, they are now knocking on the door of the promised land. In fact, uh, this is very specifically dated as being uh, in the the fortieth year on the first day of the eleventh month, uh, when Joshua crosses the Jordan River and goes into the land of Canaan. It's also dated, and we know that it's about two months from right now. So they really are after 40 years, after the exodus, after Egypt, after hundreds of years as slaves and as captives, they are really right ready to, to enter the promised land. They are knocking on the door. And that's a very different circumstance, a very different era, a very different situation from what they had been. They are no longer a people just wandering in the wilderness. right? So for 40 years they had been just wandering in the wilderness. Uh, they are no longer uh, uh, living um, as slaves in Egypt. For over 400 years, they were slaves in Egypt. Right uh, Now, they are going to finally become, uh, if you will, homeowners, residents of their own place, their own land. They're going to be citizens of their own nation. And so things are changing dramatically for this people who had been uh, pilgrims, who had been slaves, who had been sojourners for so long, many generations. And now 
they are on the verge of a very new era, a very new period. And so the question is, how will the covenant and how will all of its laws apply in this new setting? Right, so that's part of the occasion, is it's a new era. It's a new time period for Israel. A second thing we learn about uh, the occasion, why Moses, why, why Moses wrote, is that it is also a new generation. Right? It says, uh, verse 2, I love this verse, verses 2 and 3, it is 11 days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Now, of course, there's a lot of places we don't know, but basically Mount Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai, where God met them, where uh, God came down on the mountain, where Moses went up and got the Ten Commandments, and where the people had lots of experiences, good and bad, at Mount Sinai. Uh, It says here that it's an 11-day journey. So not an easy journey, not a hop, skip, and a jump, uh, but less than two weeks' journey from from, uh, Mount Sinai, Horeb, to the border of Canaan. Um, then it says, so get that, 11 days. Don't forget that number, 11 days. Then it says, uh, in the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel, right? Um, so, so here's the question. If you're going to go on a road trip uh, and you're planning out your route, right? you're mapping out how you want to make the trip, would you rather go on the 11-day journey or the 40-year road trip? I don't know about you, I like road trips, but I'm thinking 11 days is probably enough, right? They had been at this for 40 years, right? 40 years. Now, the first two years of that 40, of course, were the, uh, after the Exodus, after they left Egypt, they were for two years at Mount Sinai. And during that time, uh, they received many instructions. Uh, they actually uh, instituted the covenant for the first time. And all the instructions that went with the covenant including building the tabernacle and the sacrifices and offerings that they were to bring to God, right? Uh, And at the end of that two years, God led them on that 11-day journey, actually, from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea. And there, God said, go in and take the land, right? It was the short route, the 11-day trip. But when they stood at the entrance, they were filled with fear at the prospect of going into Canaan. And instead of going in and taking possession of that land then, uh, that generation, the first generation that came out of of Egypt, refused to enter. Uh, And their sin was ultimately a lack of faith, a lack of confidence and belief in the goodness and power of God. And they thought, uh, the the enemies in Canaan are too great, and we are are like grasshoppers before them. Uh, This is not going to work. And so, rather than entering the promised land, they refused. Um, and, and as a result, God closed the door to them. They would not enter that land. Um, and God uh, would keep his promise, but not to that generation. They missed it. Right? They missed out. Um, it's important to note that they did not stop being the people of God. God was with them for that whole remaining 38 years. So for the next 38 years, that generation uh, does laps around Mount Sinai. Right? They head back to Mount Sinai, and for 40 years, they are traveling around the desert and the wilderness. And during that time, God was with them. They were still his people. God is still caring for them and protecting. He still provided the manna every day and provided water, and he was watching over them. And during that to- whole time, 
Uh, he was still, his glory was still present in the tabernacle. And so God is in their midst and he is with them, right? So he hasn't rejected them as a people or as a nation. He has not uh, rejected the covenant and his promises to them, even though they broke the covenant by their failure to trust God and follow him. He was gracious toward them this whole time and he did not abandon them. But what we see is that that generation missed out on the blessings that God had for them, the fullest blessings. But they still had the blessings of his presence. They still had the blessing of his care. But they missed out on the big blessing of the promise uh, that was at the end of the road, right? The promised land, their own land, their own place, right? And we see that the reason for that was was, was clearly because of their unbelief. And the author of Hebrews uh, uh, uses this as an illustration for us to check our own faith. Are we really believing and trusting that God is good and that he cares for us and that he has power to fulfill his promises? So Hebrews three sixteen through 18 says this, uh, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? And he's talking about this generation, right? This generation wandering in the wilderness. Was it not those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom uh, was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? They died in the wilderness during those 40 years. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, uh, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So, So that was the old generation. But this generation is not like their parents, right? And of course, um, every generation will say, we are not like our parents, right? Uh, we are not like our parents. Every generation swears we are different than our parents. And certainly that was true of this generation, right? Uh, they now, after 40 years, were brought to, to Moab. They were at the door of the promised land. And we see that already they are responding very differently. They are acting very differently than their parents. And in verse 4, it says that they were brought to this place after uh, he, that is Moses, and the people had defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and Edrei. Uh, they, they had met enemies, and they had tried to pass peacefully through these people's lands, but these kings came out and attacked them, uh, even though they had tried to negotiate a peaceful passage. Uh, and they, they did not run from the battle. They did not flee in fear, but they stepped out in faith and courage and uh, beat those enemies by trusting in God's power to help. So we see that already they are living differently. They are a different generation. And, uh, you know, we live in a time where right before our eyes, it's, it's almost as if every day the world is changing in dramatic ways. And every time I, I look at and read the news, I'm just stunned by what's happening and how the way people think is changing. And if you're like me, an old guy like me, uh, it's terrifying, right? Uh, we who are older look at the world before us and we wonder how our children and our grandchildren are going to make it. Like the world just seems so impossible from and so different from the world that we grew up in. And we may think, how will any of them make and uh, make their way with God? Right? How will our children ever keep their faith and their love for God? 
And maybe Moses felt some of that. Maybe he felt like, you know, things were kind of cooled in the 40 years in the wilderness because it, it, in some ways it was easy, right? There weren't a lot of enemies. Um, the food was boring but good. It was stable. Uh, things didn't change a lot for, for 38 years. Uh, and maybe Moses is looking now at, at the enemies and the changes that are going to sweep upon them. And maybe Moses himself is kind of worried. How will... How will this new generation make it? Will they, will they really have more faith than their parents? Or will they also run in fear and flee, uh, when, when things get hard? Right? So, so, so that's the occasion that's happening here. There's a, there's a new era, new circumstances, new, uh, facing new challenges, and it's a new generation. Uh, Moses finds himself in very changing times, uh, and that old generation has all died. Moses and, and uh, uh, Joshua and Caleb are the only ones left from that old generation. Everybody else is gone. And um, so, so Moses, uh, what is he going to do? How is he going to help this new generation uh, face what's ahead of them? And maybe we, we have the same question. How are we going to help this new generation, our children, face this crazy world that's in front of them? Well, it, it, it's clear that, that Moses needs a new approach. He needs a new approach to how he's going to deal with these people in this new time. And we see that approach laid out in verse 5. It says, They're beyond the Jordan in the land of Moab, at the very door of Canaan. It says, Moses undertook to explain this law. Now, we can read that over and say, uh, and, and really miss the importance of this. But this is really explaining the whole rest of the book of Deuteronomy, the whole remainder of the book, the whole remainder of this treaty uh, renewal covenant is Moses explaining what has been commanded. Uh, now you might say, well, well, how is that a different method? Uh, isn't that what, what he was always doing? Well, actually, no. This is very new and different for Moses. What we see here is Moses transitioning from the role of prophet to preacher and teacher. And up to this time, all through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and, and Numbers, uh, Moses was very much in a prophetic role. And by that I mean he, uh, he went up on the mountain and he met with God and God spoke to Moses and Moses, uh, as a prophet, received new revelation, new information, new instructions from God. And then Moses would go down and he would tell the people as a prophet, this is what the Lord says. These are the commands and instructions of God. And over 38 years, uh, in between surfing the internet, he also wrote down all that he got. Right? He recorded it. He wrote it all down very carefully in those books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Um, what we see now is that in the book of Deuteronomy, he is not getting new revelation. Right? There's no new instructions. He's not up on the mountain meeting with God. Right? Instead, he's now shifted from a prophet who's receiving these new revelations, uh, and now he is he's taking on the role of a preacher, as a teacher. He is now explaining and clarifying and teaching what they've already received. Right? He is referencing back. He's got his what he wrote, his Bible, the first at this point only four books, and he is going back and he's referencing and quoting and citing what has already been given. And he's encouraging them to to receive these words and to follow it, right? 
So we see no new laws or commands. Nothing has changed. He's not adding to it in any way. But he is working to explain and remind them of what is there, right? of what is in the covenant. So it is a covenant renewal. It is not making a new covenant. right? It is the first time that it's written down in this treaty format. The structure might be new, but nothing in the content of it has changed. It is exactly what he had already received from God. But he sees now that in this new era, in this new age, his role is now to be a teacher. And he needs to be diligent in teaching this new generation uh, what what he received before. And not only to teach it, but to uh, to apply it to their new setting, their new context. Right Before, uh, Moses was dealing with people who were pilgrims wandering in a wilderness. Now he's going to be teaching it to people who will be conquerors and those taking possession of the promise. And so he's going to apply it differently. Uh, and, and, and ultimately, he's not doing this just to give them information, but he's calling them them to commit to it. Right? That's what a covenant is about. It is a commitment to this relationship with God. All right, so that really spells out for us and lays out for us, uh, hopefully clearly, the occasion, why this was necessary. New people, new times, a new uh, approach is needed. And so, hence, we get the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, but I want to apply this uh, with two um, uh, in two ways. And the first thing uh, I want to wrestle with a little bit briefly is is why a covenant, right? Why uh, why is there this need for a covenant? Uh, well, uh, it, it, it may seem kind of strange to us because we don't we don't very often uh, enter into relationships on the base of a covenant or a contract, an agreement, right? Uh, but what we see, for, first of all, is that a covenant uh, really is all about relationships, right? Uh, this is not just a business transaction. It's a covenant relationship. And throughout the Bible, both in the Old and New Testament, which, by the way, Old Testament, Testament is a Latin word that means covenant. New Testament, new covenant. And really, I, I, I kind of wish we, we used those labels because I think it's much clearer. We have the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And what we see is that all of God's interactions with people through all of history uh, are, are handled in a covenant relationship. Right? So when we talk about covenant, it's not just about rules and regulations. It's very much about God's relationship with us and our relationship with him. Uh, one commentator says this. He says this, this covenant spells out the nature of the relationship between Yahweh and Israel. And it's a relationship that consists fundamentally fundamentally of the recognition that God is one. And we'll see that in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, the oneness of God and who he is. Uh, and that his people, if they are to enjoy the benefits of, of, the, uh, of the promises of their forefathers, they must serve this God with undivided loyalty and faithfulness. And so that kind of spells out what, what, this, what, what the bounds and purpose of this covenant relationship are. Uh, but we may ask, well, why, why can't it just be about love, right? Like a contract, a covenant seems so cold and formal. Like to us it may feel like it kind of sucks the relationship out of relationship, right? It's too formal and it's not 
it actually seems not very relational. Um, but uh, when we consider this, uh, especially with uh, some modern practices we have, we, we see that um, one of the closest things we have to a covenant relationship is actually marriage, right? When we get married, we do it by forming a covenant. And that's what the marriage ceremony is all about. We come together and we, we make pledges and promises. We actually sign documents and papers, right? We make a big deal about this relationship, not because it's not loving, not because love is not the, the center of it, but actually because it is such an important relationship, its very importance is increased by, by the covenant, not diminished by it. And if that's true in marriage, it's even more true in our relationship with God. And there's a few ways in which uh, this relationship uh, needs a covenant. And the first is that uh, relationships, and especially this relationship, comes with great expectations, right? In fact, all relationships have some expectations to them. And the more significant, the more uh, embedded, the more uh, entrenched we are in the relationship, the more there tends to be expectations. Um, if you don't believe this uh, and you're married, ask your husband or your wife what expectations they have for you. Right? Um, chances are the last time you had an argument, it was, it was because somebody's expectations were not met. Right? Um, relationships are all about expectations. And what gets us in trouble is when those expectations are unspoken. Right? That gets me in trouble all the time. Okay, and it's tempting to talk about how those expectations in my marriage have got me in trouble, but it will be safer to talk about another area. Uh, we're here at our FCF office this morning, and we have up here behind me our, our projects, all the different ministries under the Family Connection Foundation. And I, I'm the executive director of the foundation, and so I'm managing relationships with these ministry partners. And uh, I'm kind of an easygoing, laissez-faire kind of person. And my approach early on was just to think the best of people. Right? I thought, I trust people, I like people, I believe in people, and I just want to assume and trust that people are always going to do the right thing. That's kind of how I am. Uh, there's one problem this, though, I discovered. And that is that what I think is the right thing and what others think is the right thing is oftentimes very different. Right? Very different. Uh, we have different ideas. We have different expectations, right? And especially when you're talking about not a peer relationship, but where there's a, a superior to an inferior, a king to a, 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 a to its servants, right? A director to those under the foundation. Our expectations, our ideas are different. And so I learned the hard way that it's way better, way better to spell out those expectations ahead of time. And we do that through things like uh, project agreements and, and memos of understanding, MOUs, and employee contracts, where we are super clear up front, this is what we expect of you, and this is what you expect from us, right? And it makes the relationship much happier, right? Because we have been up front, we've been uh, clear ahead of time about those expectations. Well, that's what this covenant is. God is is spelling out his expectations for them. And also what they can expect of him. And he's clear about it, right? So that they're not entering into with these unspoken expectations that blindside them. Second thing about uh, 
that we, we need, that it's necessary for a covenant in a, in a significant relationship, is that uh, this kind of relationship is asking for a very significant commitment. Right? We have casual relationships where we're not really committing much. Uh, in fact, maybe that's one of the great problems with social media. Like when somebody friends me on Facebook, uh, they don't commit to anything, right? Um, but, but in marriage, for example, or in, 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 in very significant relationships, we are coming into that relationship making a commitment. Uh, for example, in marriage. Marriage is a lifelong commitment. Like I've never conducted a, a marriage ceremony where I said, uh, are you planning to be married for just like a few weeks? Like I just need to know the time. Like is this a, a few months, a year? Like what's, what, what's your time frame? No. It's always entered into as a lifelong commitment. And, and it's a lifelong commitment of really giving up a lot, right? We're giving up, uh, uh, the life of singleness, right? We're giving up, um, you know, no more date. Maybe before we got married, you were super good looking. This wasn't my experience, but, but maybe you were, and you dated lots of people. You had lots of boyfriends or lots of girlfriends, right? Uh, when you get married, you're, you're, you're committing, no more girlfriends, no more boyfriends, only one, right? Only one. You're being faithful to your spouse. Um, you're giving up a life of freedom and independence, right? No longer you just go do your own thing, right? Now everything is shared. Every decision is shared. And, and the consequences of those decisions are shared. And your possessions are shared. Your time is shared, right? So it is a, it is a significant commitment. And it's important to know that both people are making the same commitment. And certainly that was true with God and Israel in this covenant. Like, are you all committing fully uh, to, uh, to this relationship? Certainly God was all in, right? God is, is, is putting his whole self into this relationship. And it's important for him to know that Israel is going to be also as committed to this relationship and faithful to it. And likewise, uh, Israel needed the assurance that God was all in. Uh, they needed to know that God was committed to them and that they could trust him. And it's this mutual commitment that, that makes a relationship strong. It's the glue that holds it together. Right? And, and that commitment is a covenant. Right? That commitment is a promise, um, uh, whether it's written down or not. Right? Uh, third thing about a covenant that's important is that uh, when, there, when there's a huge gap or a huge disparity between two sides, uh, you need to spell out how this relationship is going to work. Um, so, so here we have God who is almighty, all-powerful, holy, just, with unequaled authority over all things. All right? he, he is the strong man. Uh, Israel, on the other hand, is sinful, weak, uh, a bunch of probably at this point, smelly, tattered pilgrims wandering in the wilderness, right? Very huge imbalance of power, imbalance of, of everything. Uh, and so it's important to have an agreement that, that spells out how this imbalance of power will be, will be hand, handled. In the hands of, of a, a cruel and mean God, this would be, this would be a disaster, but of course, God is all powerful, but He's also all good, and and the covenant spells that out. Lastly, 
Uh, covenants are important in, in the Bible and in Deuteronomy and in really all of Scripture because God is just a promise-keeping God. It's just what God does. Uh, he enters into relationships that are very one-sided. Uh, it is really largely all about God. Uh, God and, and, and this, this God who has all power and all authority in his grace amazingly makes promises to us. And we see that the Israelites... Uh, but by this point, it's clear, do not deserve God's promise. Uh, it would be very easy for God to walk away. And in fact, uh, when, when they rebelled uh, and, and created the, the golden idol at Mount Sinai and began worshiping it, God said to Moses, look, I'll just, I'll just wipe these guys out and start over with you, right? Um, uh, but, but God doesn't do that. He, he was faithful, and he is a promise-keeping God. And the covenant is largely about this one-sided God making promises to care and provide and protect for his people. Um, uh, and, and that's still who God is, a promise-making, promise-keeping God whose promises are based far more on grace than on what we deserve. Uh, so, so that hopefully will help us understand why, why God enters into relationship with us through covenant. Uh, because it really is what relationship is at its core. And no matter how loving, no matter how desiring you are for a good relationship with another human being, what actually makes that relationship work is covenant. Stated or not, right? It's that commitment, it's that promise, it's that uh, those expectations that we spell out that, that form how we love each other and what love, what love looks like in that specific relationship. Uh, but, but there's a second point, and let me close with this. Um, and I just call it the importance of a good explanation, <laughs> uh, that we can apply this. Um, uh, it's significant that here in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is shifting his role from prophet to teacher or preacher. That he is now... Uh, sees the, the significance, the importance of being an explainer, uh, not a receiver of new words. Um, uh, and, and for us, it should be a lesson of the vital importance in our life of teaching uh, God's promises, of explaining carefully to the next generation his promises. And the truth is, most of us are not prophets. And in fact, I believe... I, I, I do believe that uh, God still raises up prophets. I believe that there are still prophetic gifts. Uh, you may believe that, that those gifts have ceased, and that's fine. We can argue about that later. Um, but the point is, um, whether, you not, whether you believe there are prophetic gifts or not, the, the, the truth is, uh, God is certainly not giving a lot of new revelation. In fact, really maybe no new revelation. Even those who claim prophetic gifts today uh, are not giving us new added revelation to Scripture. In fact, the book of Revelation warns us not to add to the, the, the words of this book, right? Um, uh, the prophetic gift of this practice today is often more actually an explaining role, right? Uh, so we're not prophets. Um, uh, and, and, and what's interesting for Moses, he was a prophet. In fact, you could argue that, that, that there's no prophet in all of the Old or New Testament uh, that was more significant than Moses. Right? Nobody got more revelation that became foundational for how 
all the rest of the Bible was shaped than Moses. He is, uh, he is the, in many ways, the great prophet. In fact, uh, when we look to Christ, Jesus uh, was, it was, it was predicted, it was prophesied that, that there would become a, another prophet like Moses, and, and that was Jesus, because there was nobody else that had the same prophetic calling and role. But when we get to the book of Deuteronomy, it is significant that, that Moses takes off his prophetic robe and he puts on his teaching robe, right? Even Moses, the great prophet, is now not looking for new revelation. As said, he, he understands the importance of just teaching and explaining what's already been given, right? And, and Jesus reaffirms the importance of this in Matthew 28, 19. Jesus, who was the great prophet, who fulfilled uh, the, the prophet even greater than Moses, who fulfilled uh, uh, all that Moses started, right? And in Matthew 20, 19 and 20, we, we just covered this, right? Um, twice, actually, at the end of Matthew and then in our series on the church. Go and make disciples of, of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, uh, teaching them to observe all that I command you. I mean, that can almost come out of Deuteronomy chapter 5, right? Explaining all that God commanded you. And so, really, that's our primary role. Not getting new revelation, but explaining the word that we have received, right? Uh, and we do that in a couple of ways. First, we need to understand the times, right? If we're going to be good at explaining the word, we need to understand the times that we are living in. Uh, we live in a world that is so very different than the world most of us grew up in. If you're if you're more than 20 years old, uh, if you're grown up, right, the world you live in now is so different than the world our kids are growing up in. Um, and and we do live under a new covenant, right? So we are not under the same covenant that we will read about in Deuteronomy. We now have a new covenant. Uh, that's based on the very blood of Jesus, right? Jesus made for us a new covenant, which was based not on these Old Testament commands and instructions, but on his own blood. In other words, we are now in a relationship with God through Jesus' death on the cross, through his blood, through his life, and through his sacrifice. Um, so, so we do have a new, new, new covenant, but that covenant that, that we have in the New Testament, the new covenant, it has not changed. Right? And it will not change. It is the covenant that will be in effect until Jesus returns. And that is the covenant that we live in. So, so we're not looking for a new covenant or new information, but we do live in a world that is changing. And we need to be diligent in thinking through how we explain this new covenant and God's word in ever-changing times. Right? Um, uh, we do have to change our approach as Moses did. And we have to take the time to study the times we are living in. Like, honestly, this is hard for me. When I see the news and I read what's going on and the change of thoughts, I just want to run and hide from it, really. I just want to lock myself away in my closet and read my old books. Right? I don't want to read this new stuff. I don't want to hear about critical race theory or uh, all the other stuff going on. Right? Uh, I don't like it. And it, it troubles me and it, 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 it kind of ticks me off when I read it, right? But we can't become old people who just get stuck back in the good old days. Right? That doesn't work. We have to engage with the world we are in, and we have to know what's happening. What are the, what, 
we are on the verge of new battles, new challenges, just like the Israelites were. And we need to be aware of what those things are so that we can be teaching our kids and even teaching ourselves how to engage this new world, this new context, this new occasion. Right? We need to know the ideas and things that are influencing people's thinking today. Where is it coming from? And we need to be prepared to speak truth against those things that are that are errors and, and that are, are false, that are lies of Satan. Right? Uh, I'd love to just jump off into that, but uh, we'll have a chance to do that more as we go through the book. But we need to be prepared right, to engage these new ideas that are so far off. And not by just saying they're stupid, which is what I want to say. Well, it's just stupid. right? No, we need to engage with those ideas and understand them. And, and hear our kids when they tell us things that seem crazy and not get scared by it, but wrestle with God. Okay, how can I explain God's truth uh, to this new situation? And to do that, well, we need to understand the next generation. right? Like I said, every new generation will tell you we are not like our parents, and it's true. Our kids are not like us. Um, uh, their whole world is based on different understandings of where you get worth and value from. Uh, I'm, I'm an old guy, and in my generation, we, we tended to get, and different personalities are different, but in general, we tended to get praise or have a sense of worth or meaning based on our accomplishments. So maybe if you were good at sports, it was how fast you are or how many baskets, baskets you could get or how, how good you were at some sport. Or if you were not that athletic but you were super smart, you would try to get your identity and your grades and in academic achievements by getting on the honor roll or um, getting advanced degrees up to doctorates or PhD. Right? That, those are things that older generations tended to strive for. Um, uh, and of course, along with that, with went career, getting career advancements and getting upgrades and promotions and 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 all the wealth that came with that, right? And so having a big house and a, a nice car and all those things said, you are somebody, you have worth, you are important, right? Uh, but the younger generation doesn't value those things as much. It's very different for them. And uh, the influence of social media has made it where um, they tend to get value not on what they accomplish out in the real world because you can't always post that on Facebook, Right? What, what, what gives you value is what you can post on social media. And so uh, if you look through social media posts, if you go and you start searching what young people are posting, they're not putting up their, I graduated with my PhD. No, they're posting, I jumped out of an airplane. And I fell almost all the way to the ground before I pulled my chute, right? Um, they're looking for exotic experiences and places, right? They're posting some waterfall and some exotic country where people have never been. Right? That's what gives them uh, meaning and identity. Right? It's much more based on experiences and uh, uh, adventure. Right? Uh, and, and we may think, well, that's just a waste of time. Right? Uh, but that's not the point. The point is we need to understand this generation. We need to understand the things that are shaping their worldview. And unfortunately, we think... Uh, well, my kids grew up in a Christian home and they go to a Christian school. My kids have a Christian worldview. Well, I can promise you those things are not influencing them uh, as much as, as the media and as things around them. right? And you may think you're protecting your kids, 
Uh, and, and, and certainly we should try to. But what we need to understand is that they are being shaped by a worldview that is very different from ours. And we need to be understanding them and understanding their worldview and not assuming that uh, they are like us. So that, again, so that we can give them a good explanation, so that we can teach the word effectively. Last thing, we're out of time, end with this. Finally, uh, we need to uh, realize that, that the message must never change. Right? It is a, we must never change the message. Right? We need to know the word of God. Uh, we need to know uh, the old and new covenant. We need to see how Jesus has fulfilled the covenant uh, in, uh, in, through the cross. Right? Uh, and we need to understand that this covenant is the covenant from now till Jesus returns. And it's super important that we do not change the message. Right? There is huge temptation, and many times the church has failed on this point, where we have thought, well, the world is changing and the generation is changing. We need a new message. Right? We need to change the message because the old message is outdated. Uh, but uh, the word of God does not change. The message cannot change because God does not change. No matter how much the world around us is turned upside down, God is the same. Right? Uh, we will see that in Deuteronomy 6. That this one God is unchanging, steady. And the way he engages with people is through covenant that is unchanging. Right? Uh, we need to, we need to uh, learn how to explain it unique to each uh, generation and each setting and each, each context. But... Uh, we do not change the message, right? It stays the same. And that was Moses, right? Moses comes to this new generation, a new setting, a new context. He holds on firmly to the revealed word that had been given to him. Uh, it is repeated because the message doesn't change. It is the same. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and his word does not change. right? So Moses... It uh, gives us a rerun, a repeat in bo- the book of Deuteronomy. But we see him, uh, same message, same word, but now he is going to be applying it and explaining it carefully to a new people in a new era. And certainly that's what we do. Uh, we want to be uh, learning how to apply the never-changing word in an ever-changing world. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.